Um, before we get into the message this morning, one of the things that I was going to do last week, and I, I didn't because I wasn't here uh, being ill, uh, was give a, a quick update on one of our missionary families that we support here at Partnership. Um, this is a very special family, uh, from uh, maybe just from my personal opinion, in that they are native to the place where they serve. So George and Damaris Varudi are um, a family of four with their daughters Clarissa and Carolina. They serve in Romania in a, in a town of Craiova and two, two churches actually, Segarcha and Craiova. And George is, uh, is pastoring uh, these two churches he does a, a Saturday service at one and Sunday service at the other. And a, a rich history with this family through actually Damaris's father that was known by several folks here at Partnership and through some of the connections at Johnson University. Um, I had the blessing of calling them over WhatsApp uh, last week and kind of conducting a little quasi-interview with them to kind of let them maybe share a little bit about what's going on in their ministry and life firsthand uh, from from their mouths. Uh, I apologize; the video is not is not it's not really great. In fact, um, my fate you, you're going to see my mug the majority of the time because that's just the way that thing recorded. But I hope that you'll um, I hope that you'll see and be able to hear kind of what's going on with George and Demaris. And I'm going to let um, Demaris specifically. She introduces and speaks the most because she speaks the most English. Um, just to introduce their vision and their mission there uh, in Romania. be able to be God's tools as is written in Matthew 28 so others can uh, know him through us. We, he is a pastor in Craiova which is in, in the southwest part of Romania. It's a big city about half a million people and he has a church there exactly in the downtown and there is another church about 20 miles away, a smaller one mixed of gypsies and Romanian people in a small uh, city, it's about uh, 10,000 inhabitants called Segarcha. And uh, what is relevant to know is that in this part of Romania, the, communist, the communism used to be very, very strong. And the Orthodox religion is very strong full of tradition and witchcraft. So spreading the gospel in this area is 10 times harder, for example, if you compare it with Transylvania. Uh, many years ago in our area, we even had the International Congress of uh, Witches. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a, a very special area that needs lots of prayer. So that's Demars kind of giving a quick introduction to them and, and their ministry. They do uh, minister at two different churches. One, as she mentioned in Segarcha, is a gypsy church, uh, which are basically a, a church of, of transients, of people that kind of come and go as they please. They're, they're very opportunistic people that come to that church. They may be there one Sunday and not there next. Um, they can, um, can be very... 
very trying uh, type of culture in that they're they're very um, consumerist. They come in, they get what they want, get what they need, and then move on. Uh, that's one church. The other church that they serve there in Cryova, as Damaris mentioned, is um, this tradition that's steeped a lot in a lot of dualism, a lot of spiritism and witchcraft. In fact, you know, Romania and Transylvania, you might recognize that's the home of Dracula, right? So um, this is the atmosphere, this is the culture in which they are trying to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, actually, what, they, what they're doing with these two churches, they're actually carrying on the work of Damaris's father. Damaris's father actually began both of these churches, and then when Damaris and George were married, George then has taken on the role of, of minister and has been going to Bible college and um, continuing to learn to be trained to lead these two churches. So I'm just going to let them share a little bit about some of the challenges that they've had in um, in. Uh, in leading these two churches. Yeah, both of these uh, churches uh, were opened by my father after the revolution, the one from uh, Cryova and later um, in the years, the one uh, from the, the Gypsy Church. But unfortunately, he passed away seven years ago. All, all his life, you know, ministering and being a pastor was all his life and all his dream and uh, during his life he also managed to build the building where we gather in the Cryova church uh, and he worked for this and everybody worked for this and after he passed away George and I and the church we tried our best to continue because the building is not totally finished but in the same time we tried our best to um, help with the building uh, from Segarja Church. Because when you come and visit, you will see it's a very old building, more than 100 years old, made of uh, bricks, made of mud. And um, George and I were uh, talking that the ceiling at the building cannot be fixed anymore. We fixed it so many times, <laughs> three, four years ago, the, because when it's the snow coming, the rain, um, the ceiling fell exactly next day after the service was finished. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Praise God, no one was injured. Exactly. It was quite a big miracle. So often we take for granted uh, just the fact that we have a warm, dry building to worship in, and they are worried uh, a lot of times for the the fact that the ceiling may fall in uh, in the midst of their time of worship, but they're extremely grateful. And, um, you know, in, in just in my time of knowing them, they've never been one to, to beg or ask for an extensive amount of help for these things. That if you ask them what they are hoping for, what they are wanting, and they are always just continuing to ask for prayers. And when I ask them specifically about the things to, to be praying for that we could be as a church praying for them for, uh, they specifically asked that they would um, that the girls, their daughters, would uh, be able to learn more on how to lead music and worship, so that they can support the church. So this is Damar speaking about that. For us as a family to be able to teach to play more instruments, our girls are having guitar lessons and piano lessons because we want to get them more and more involved in praise and worship. His biggest concern is for people to be so many 
attending church and coming to Christ, then no one can count them. Continue to pray for our ministry because he felt through the Holy Spirit that God really has a plan for his ministry from this area of Romania and God really wants to do great things through us and through him because in every small and single thing he, he does, he sees how God is opening doors. So as you can tell, they're not one of doom and gloom, they're one of uh, optimism. They recognize, especially George specifically, uh, feels that there is, their, their biggest worry is that there's going to not be enough space for people to come and to worship together. Um, they want to offer one other, um, one other couple of words of gratitude, and then we're going to pray for George and Damaris. I um, just want to let you know as well that as a church, uh, for those of us that, that give our tithes and our offerings here to partnership, we also tithe uh, 10%, currently 10% of our general offering goes to missions, goes, to, goes outside of the church and into places like Romania helping George and Damaris do their work. Next year, um, I'm excited to say that we're stepping out even with a little more faith and we're, after 25 years, we're increasing that to now 11%. It doesn't sound like a whole lot of big increase, but the fact is that we're, we're we have an intention to want to be able to give more than we retain. And we're going to try to do that incrementally in small steps. So next year, we're going to be stepping up our tithe to missions to 11%. And those types of things go to helping George and Damaris. So I'm, I'm excited to know that I'm going to be able to uh, have a chance to visit with them next year. Uh, encourage them to kind of see their ministry and their work. And see where else that we can be more um, holistic and helping and supporting them and their work there in Romania. Thank you. We thank you for everything you did for us and for coming and visiting us and for your prayers, for all your support. And uh, we are very, very grateful. And uh, we are very happy that uh, God put on your heart uh, to be to visit us and to connect with us. And I'm sure God has a special plan for uh, our churches together. Amen. And it's wonderful to know that the, uh, the gospel message, it's an international language, even though uh, we don't speak natively the same language, Jesus Christ is one that is, uh, transcends all languages and all cultures, and his love there is just as it is here. Let's pray for them now, and we'll pray as well for our time of, um, of teaching. Almighty God, we are so grateful for those that you have placed um, specifically located in places of need, like Cryova and Segarcha with George and Damaris. We're grateful, Lord, that you've given them a heart and a desire to spread the gospel message and to continue to look forward in, um, in excitement for the work that you are doing through your Holy Spirit and bringing people to know your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you continue to lift them up, that you continue to encourage them and empower them. Lord, that you um, allow us to know as a church that supports them from, from this side of the world what it is that we need to do more of in, um, in holistic support and encouragement for George and Damaris. Lord, make us wise, give us your wisdom on what it is that you would have us to partner with them. And also, Lord, I just pray that what they are doing there just continues to flourish 
and to bring fruit to your kingdom. And Lord, may we um, enjoy a partnership uh, within that work there and celebrate with them in all of the work they're doing. Father, now as we approach your word and, and your teaching, I just pray, Lord, that you continue to speak to each one of us. Lord, by your mighty word, by your mighty wisdom, Lord, as we, as we approach your scripture, I pray, Lord, that it becomes an encouragement for each one of us. Lord, it meets us where we are and allows us, Lord, to be teachable and moldable and trainable to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I appreciate what, what uh, Jason had kind of started out with being um, a, a little bit, maybe kind of bah humbug with some of the, the festive stuff. I have to admit, I am not an overly festive person. Are, are, you, are you one of those? Are you an, are you, do we have any overly festive people that just go nuts with, okay, a couple of, there you go. I could see that, totally see that, Janie. Um, my son, who is six, says we, we've nicknamed him Buddy the Elf because he wears this Santa hat around the house all day. He sleeps in it. He was the first one to decorate his room. I mean, it, it literally felt like we had Will Ferrell living in our house at one point. And I'm the opposite. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I just, you know, they have to get up and decorate and whatnot. And, and you know, the, the price of things, we started talking about the, we were going to look for Christmas trees. We started thinking about the price of Christmas trees. And I'm going, and Ender and I are looking at each other, we go, we're not going and paying 100 bucks for a Christmas tree. So what do I do? I get on the phone and I call a couple of folks and say, hey, any chance we could go out and, and just get a Christmas tree on your land? And, and um, fortunately, Ken Roman knew somebody that had some land out beside him. We drove out, took the truck out into the field, and we picked out this beauty right here. <laughs> and you know what? It didn't cost me a dime. Now, I sent that picture to my brother. He was, um, and after we got done with all of our Christmas vacation jokes, um, he tried to implore me to, to leave it like that, but um, Indra would not let me leave it like that. I did trim it up so the star does fit on the top. Um, we did have a lot of sap. Um, but you know what? It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pathetic little tree. But, it, you know, it didn't cost me a dime. And, and, and the kids loved it. The kids loved the experience. In fact, the same thing I kind of felt like, even with Christmas music. Because, like, like Jason, I was a, a music minister for a, lot of, a long time before I was in um, full-time kind of preaching and teaching ministry. And it used to get me so frustrated in the, in the holiday and the festive season because the songs were so repetitive. And it was just kind of like everybody wanted these traditional Christmas songs and it was just like nails on the chalkboard to me. Um, one of my first uh, assignments was serving a church down in South Alabama where I was uh, serving as the music minister and the worship leader down there. And it was a, a more traditional type of church that I was serving in, and it was kept being impressed upon me. You need to do more traditional music. You need to do more traditional Christmas songs. That's what the people are wanting. That's what the people are needing. And I'm going, all right, fine. I'll do your traditional song. So I pulled this little stunt where I went and I found a couple of the finest guitar players, lead guitar players that I could find in the area. And we arranged a beautiful modern rendition of Carol of the Bells. 
And we played this for all the oldies on Christmas Eve. And it came out something like this. Too bad you couldn't see the faces on the people that were in the crowd. That was my last Christmas there. <laughs> my favorite part was the Eddie Van Halen. Whoa. It was just like, you felt like every old person in the whole congregation was just about to walk out. And you know, but whether you're one that really appreciates the festive Christmas music, the hymns, the carols, or not, we, we have to recognize that the, the song... The praise, the worship song, has been a part of the, the, I guess, the season of Christmas all the way back to the very beginning. Now, you know, back before Bean Crosby and Mariah Carey, back before even the Middle, uh, the middle Ages, had all of these Christmas carols that were starting to, to uh, become popular, there were songs that were, in, that were incorporated into Scripture 
during the nativity story that have become, I, I believe, foundational to the beauty of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I think if we, if we look back and we start back with what, I've, what I consider is probably some of these songs that get little airplay because we like to jump to the narrative. We like to jump to the actual story of Jesus being born. And we rarely take a close look at the reflection of the people that were in that area and in that time whenever those events were going on. And specifically beginning with Mary, with Mary, Jesus' mother. There's a song that she writes, or that she writes, and that she she recites, and that is recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter one. That is one that has resonated from generation to generation to generation, and it's one that, like I said, that we often, as we're reading the nativity story, that a lot of times we skip over. I mean, how how many times do we read the nativity story and we don't even we don't even really kind of pay attention to the indented portions? of the scripture because it's just kind of like well that's personal to her and it really doesn't have anything to do with me and it not necessarily adds a whole lot of flavor to the story of Jesus's birth but the fact is it it really does and the richness that comes from songs like one that Mary sang in Luke chapter 1 is I believe one that that actually could bring us richness within a season today whenever we're celebrating the birth of Christ. You see, because if we look really quickly at Mary herself, as she's leading up to this this song of praise, knowing that she has been um, promised the gift of bearing the Messiah in her womb. Mary, a young woman, probably 12 or 13 years old, The scripture just says a young virgin in the town of Nazareth. And that's really the entire description of what we have of Mary. Mary was nobody. Mary was a nobody. She was a me. She was a you. She was in the the midst of the most, uh, you know, obscure places in the world. In the, the most obscure times in the world. The scripture didn't go through and give all this fancy genealogy for Mary like it did Joseph. It just said Mary, a virgin in the town of Nazareth. We don't know anything about Mary's family. We don't recognize that she has this, um, this rich heritage of, of, uh, of genealogy, of family in her past. We don't get this idea that her family or anybody of means, that they have any money, that they have any political or social status. She's just young Mary, a nobody, a commoner, a peasant. Just like, for the most of us, me and you. And to this nobody, to this commoner, to this peasant, to this poor young woman that really had nothing in the world going for her other than the fact that she was pledged to be married and she was in some way going to be identified then with her husband and and his family, all of a sudden something unbelievable and miraculous happens to this common peasant girl. Gabriel comes down He visits with Mary and he tells her 
that she is going to bear a son. And that son is going to be the promised Messiah. It's not that her son was going to be just a prophet. It's not that her son was just going to be this prime political leader or this, this, great, um, this great military commander. It was the fact that, Mary, your son is going to be the Savior that I have promised my people for all time, forever. And I'm going to do it through you, young nobody Mary. And now it makes sense why Mary bursts out in this song and goes, God has looked down on me. Nothing. The smallest of small, the most insignificant of insignificant. And has decided to fulfill his promise through me. Now, if we're not careful, when we go to read Mary's song, we start to think, well, maybe Mary's building herself up to, to, um, um, to say that she was something special now that God had chosen her from nothing to be something. But the truth is, as we read this song, we recognize that Mary says that it's God that receives all of the glory. God is exalted. His name is holy The mighty one God has done as he has chosen. Let's read the words of Mary. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. He's looked with favor on on the nothingness that I am. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. The world doesn't call Mary blessed because she had done anything special. The world called Mary blessed because God was holy. She points it all to him. In fact, what her hope is that is that what happened to her will then resonate with people who are like her. It's almost as if she is saying, take heart, you nobodies, you commoners, you peasants, you poor, you insignificant. Take heart because God in his sovereign power and his holy name, he chooses who he chooses because of who he is to do his will, to fulfill his promises, to make his plans come to fruition. His mercy in verse 50 is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the faults of their hearts. Mary in her song, she's giving praise for the fact that that God didn't choose the proud. He didn't choose the mighty. He didn't choose the most obvious of people to fulfill his promises. He didn't choose the ones that were the, the, the ones that could carry the marquee. He chose the humble. He scattered 
the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. What is Mary talking about there? He's satisfied the hungry. Jesus talks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to believe that Mary was one and in her humble condition had been one that just sought in her the most common of ways to be faithful to an almighty God. And she recognizes that she had had this hunger in her soul for righteousness, for being right with God, for finding his holiness. And God answered her and he filled that hunger. And he took those who were rich, he took those who were the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He had taken all of those and he had disregarded those in the midst of his plan. He said they were hungering for self-righteousness. But for those who were hungering for God's righteousness, he filled up and he blessed her. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he spoke to our ancestors. You see, Mary's song, it, it presented a praise for God for performing his mighty works, for fulfilling his eternal promises through the most unexpected people. And how often is it that we look for God to move in the massive and the mighty? You know, we even hear it in some of the language that we speak today. We're praying for a, you know, a, a fresh, massive movement of the Holy Spirit. We're praying for a, a special, massive um, uh, return, revival to God our Father. But yet, historically, what God has shown us is he's taken on the micro level and he's begun with the humble, with the poor, with the destitute. And he started his plans there. And what has happened throughout history with what he did through this young nothing of a woman? Now, 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is known across the world and has been for generations unheard of we today we feel like we've got to shout it from a mountaintop we've got to we've got to get on television we've got to we got to broadcast we got to put it on the billboard it's got to be glitzy and glamoury it's got to be pretty and it's got to be something that has all this 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 massive pomp and circumstance but God says no if you'll just if you'll just allow the truth the goodness the perfection of my power work in my time and in my place. I will take the most unexpected, the most unsuspected, and do something that you could never do with all of your power and money and voice. We want the bigger, the faster, the stronger. And God says, I just want the humble. I want the obedient. I want those who are hungering for righteousness. And I hope that in Mary's song, 
in Mary's condition and the fact that God used Mary to begin this reign of a king, of a king forever, I want that to be an encouragement for each one of you. And it's an encouragement for me as well. Because one of the things that we can do, I think, in life in general, is we begin to think that, well, what good are we? I'm just, I'm just little old Jeff living in this small town in Maryville, Tennessee, with a handful of brothers and sisters in Christ that we journey in Christ with. And I, and I look out and I go, God, what are, what, what are you doing with, with me in my little humble situation? And what about you? What is he doing in your little humble situation? Are you willing to recognize that he can use you on the end of your one, two, three main street in the cul-de-sac to do something mighty and eternal with? Just as he did it with Mary in this little nothing town of Nazareth. And I guess... The story would, we'd feel like it was a hallmarker made for TV movie if Mary all of a sudden became this, um, this flash character. And some church traditions have tried to make her out to be this big flash celebrity character. The problem is the scripture doesn't corroborate with that. You see, Mary went to her grave just as humble and obedient as the day when she was 12 or 13 years old and was told that she would carry the Son of God in her womb. And in her humility, in her obedience, in her hunger for righteousness, what began through her has continued now for 2,000 plus years and will continue until Christ comes again. And let that be a hope for each one of us as well. That we don't, we don't need to have, we don't need to have all the glitz and glamour around us for us to feel like and know that God is using us. For us to recognize that just as the Son of God was physically implanted in Mary's womb, the Son of God has been spiritually implanted in each one of you and me. And in humility and in hunger for righteousness, we carry that, that, that seed of the Son of God in us. And we continue to fulfill God's plan and His promises Every time we proclaim the gospel message, every time we allow the truth and the, the, the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ pour out of us into those around us. I hope it's an encouragement to know that God regularly and especially 
in this season where we're celebrating the Savior of the world uses common means. And as the scripture says, he uses what the world calls foolish to shame the wise. And that's just how God works. Because in the end of the day, it all brings the glory back to him. And there's nothing that Mary could have done or wanted to do or that I could do or want to do to bring any light to myself, but to shine everything on God and his holiness and his mighty works that is done through us. As we enter into a time of communion together, I want us to think about some of these questions that I've written there in the bulletin. How does God's blessing to Mary bring you hope this season? Have you struggled with wondering what your purpose or your or God's plan is for you and in your your humble insignificant place in life? Does it help to look at Mary and to say that she was nothing and God made something out of nothing? She didn't allow it to go to her head. She allowed God to continue to work through her. But the, the, the blessing that comes from seeing Mary's situation and hearing her song is recognizing that he works through the common and the peasant and the poor to do mighty things. Does her situation, does her response resonate with you? Whenever God does use you, when God does speak through you and he works through your, your work and he works through your mouth to advance his kingdom, do you turn and sing a song of praise and glorifying of God the Father or do we turn and go, man, look what I just did. Could we let Mary's response, her song, be a prompt for us to turn and say, Father, to you be the glory for working through me, a common man, to do your mighty work. And here's something that maybe that you haven't really thought of. And for those of you who may or may not be Christmas music people, write your own song. And it doesn't have to be one that you publish. It doesn't have to be one that has to be recorded or, or sent out you know, to, to the radio. It could be something between you and the Lord. In fact, I, I doubt that Mary expected her song to be published in the Holy Bible and to be distributed billions of times for everyone to read. This was a very personal, this was a very personal word of praise that she had to God for what God had done through her for the world. Maybe it's time for us to write a new song, a special personal song. For God, what you have done through me with your son, Jesus Christ. What you're going to continue to do through me with your son, Jesus Christ. Praising God for how he works through the common to the peasant, to the poor to the insignificant and do things that have eternal relevance. Each week we come together 
not just to praise and to not just to sing and to pray and to read through scripture but we intentionally come together and we share the Lord's Supper and this is a this is a an ordinance that we feel that we know in scripture is one that was open to every person that called on and believed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has made him your Lord this table doesn't belong to partnership it belongs to Christ and the expectation was that for each one of those that have called on him as Lord and Savior each one of us that that follow him or we seek to follow him with all of our hearts and we hunger for that righteousness he comes and he makes his home with us and just as Mary in her humble condition carried an incarnate Christ in her womb each one of us carry the presence of Christ with us in our spirit and our soul And we take the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ not only with us as a promise for our forgiveness of sins, but we carry it as a gift to give to others as well. And we're so grateful that Jesus gave us this way to remember him and this way to point to him and the work that he has done for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, this morning as we take this meal, as we remember the body of your son Jesus Christ that was broken for us, Lord, as we remember the blood of your son Jesus Christ that was shed for us, Father, I pray that, that each one of us are, are thinking in our heart of hearts of our own song of praise to lift up to you. Thanking you, Lord, first for saving our soul. First for, for loving each one of us, nobodies. When we were and even are often unlovable. And I pray, Lord, that as we take this meal, that we refocus ourselves right now. Lord, on on the king the king that was born to save the world and that has been saving the world and will be saving the world Lord until he comes and, and proclaims and claims all that he has conquered Lord I pray that we remember your son Jesus first and foremost in all that we do during this Christmas season. We don't allow the gifts and the wrappings and all that stuff, the songs and the trees to, to get in the way of recognizing the cataclysmic thing, Lord, that you have done through all creation for all time. By giving of your son, Jesus Christ, your only son, to live and to die and to live again so that we may all have life forevermore. In Christ I pray, amen. Let's eat together.